Welcome to Restart Radio. I'm Dave Pickering and I make podcasts. I spend most of my life online, but I've got no idea how to fix any of the devices that help me to spend my time there. At least that's how I was before I started making podcasts for the Restart Project. The Restart Project are a London-based charity and social enterprise whose mission is to spark reflection and change in our relationship with gadgets. My name is David Lee, and I'm the executive director of Shenzhen Open Innovation Lab. We are Shenzhen government-supported maker platform to facilitate cooperation between the global maker, entrepreneur, and the ecosystem in Shenzhen. I spoke to David Lee in the Restart Project's offices in Bermondsey. In today's podcast, we're thinking about how gadgets are made and designed from the point of view of the city of Shenzhen in China and the culture of production and design that has grown up around that city. And we think about how this different approach might influence and change the way we relate to gadgets across the world. The Center Open Innovation Lab was set up in 2015. The ideas of this global maker movement is a paradigm shift, which resulted in more people starting to create and produce hardware. For us, looking at it in Shenzhen, it's not a disruption, but it's a continuum. Because in the past 20 years, this is how Shenzhen grew. So it's becoming critical for the maker movements to be engaging with Shenzhen and also for the Shenzhen to engage with the global maker movement. And that, that's the reason we set up the lab to do a much better promotion and facilitating the cooperations. For example, uh, this time I'm in UK because we are running this program called Hello Shenzhen with British Council, the support of the Shenzhen International Exchange Foundations to bring the Shenzhen makers to be residents in the UK makerspace. So the makerspace gets to understand how Shenzhen works and also gives the Shenzhen makers understand how the UK makerspace works. In the same times, we actually have seven UK makers in Shenzhen. And they are also resident in six different uh, makerspace in Shenzhen and look at how the skill of making, how the equipment of making can make social impact. This is kind of what Shenzhen Open Innovation Lab is. When we're talking about makers and the maker movement, how would you describe that? The whole thing is actually just empowered by internet. So a lot of things we hear about maker movement is open hardware, unlike corporations, communities. This is not the traditional term we heard about for people who are making things. So I think maker movement is one of the manifestations of this paradigm shift. When we look at this from China and in specific from Shenzhen, it doesn't come up as something out of order or something disrupted. It's something is a natural progression to what has been going on in Shenzhen. So Shenzhen is one of the youngest cities in the world. It started its life 30 years ago uh, as a fishing village of 200,000 people. And this year, what well, depends on the month, uh, there are between 15 million to 20 million people in Shenzhen, the average age of 34. But the most important is the, the city is purely built on the concept of manufacture as service. Right now, today, in the maker movement, we see a lot of the narrative in terms of this small productions versus big company. But 
in reality, the the production has been changed so much in the past. Well, I would say fifty hundred years. If we remember the 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 war of Henry Ford, as the you can have Model D in any color you want as long as it's bright. That's back when the the manufacture and production owns the powers of designing. But today, you walk around Shenzhen, the question becomes: To what would you like to produce today? What kind of things? And this is the big part of that separation and liberations. And coming back to this maker movement, this is just pushing it small, small, small scale. So in Shenzhen, this is pushing down to you don't have to make things in the millions. You can make things in tens of thousands, even thousands. And further pushing all this production tool being used by the small productions is becoming rapidly available to small. Community, even individual, be able to set this up in their garage with laser cutters, with 3D printers, with CNC machine, and community is starting to get interested in this to explore new kind of empowerment. So, how do we get more durable and less wasteful electronics? I think this is the the, the new funded opportunity today. A lot of time, people would tell me like, "Oh, well, you work with so many Shenzhen factories. Can you tell them to adopt?" Clean modules, all this approach. But oftentimes, the question that, that that comes back is people still very much associated the the production with brand. So people who produce decided what to put on the market. But that's actually far from the reality today. People who decided what gets made is different from the people who produce it. And that's the big concept of this manufacture as service. This has been built up by I mean. For the past thirty years, by large company outsourcing everything, but it gets us to the point where now we get to decide. So, with the flip side, the question is the: This is the the point of time for people who care enough about modular design, with clean design, with open design, with reusable, remanufacturable part. It's time to step up. It's time to say, okay, well, we want this, and we can build this. How many people want this? Let's build that community. And I think this is where we see the maker movement going. It's not an isolated place where we want to squeeze all the production back to in a local small workshop. Is this workshop becoming a portal into people who can come in, realize what、well, making hardware is actually not that difficult, and then taking that knowledge, taking that tool, taking that access, and say, okay, well. Now let's do something interesting and meaningful. And because of that, manufacture as service is building up as a platform. If we go into the factory, tell them this is what we want, and we'll pay you. Well, they will build it. I think we are at the point of time. It's not about asking big brand, big company, please give us this. It's really the time. Say okay, well we want this and. We can build it. In the past couple of years, I think there are really great example who prove the possibility. Fairphone is one of them, but also huge success of different kind of company. We call in France, Tenko in Africa. This is all people stepping up, saying, "Okay, well, we want a phone which is purely for Africa, even with the specialized selfie facial recognition for dark skin. It's all possible." I think the maker movement is the portal. And the movement to push even bigger global understanding of this. It's not a high-level strategy of the getting to this modular design. It's the 
bottom up push. Anyone get the opportunity. We have like-minded community who can actually help bootstrap a new type of entrepreneur, which would be much closer to all the idea we like, rather than getting a couple sign out and go back in Apple say please, please, please. Big company is like big ship. Even when they sink, it takes a long time. But I think the the, the flip side is the not care so much about what big company is doing, but actually more entrepreneurs seizing the opportunity, saying, "Well, I have a group of people who likes form with the following principle. I can build it, and I have the backing of this community. Going it up to scale, going it up to the end. So, I think that's the." Not so much about moving the entire industry in one move, or fighting the big company in a, a PR battle. That's direct support to it. Once that awakening started, once that is the next stage of the maker movement, eventually all these small company in combination they are going to change the industry. They are going to reconfigure the whole industry. <laughs> There's a perception in the West, in inverted commas, wherever the West means, that、uh, Chinese factories are abusive and prone to cut corners,、uh, creating throwaway products. This tends to ignore so much of the economic systems underpinning production.、Uh, how do you react to that characterization of、uh, Chinese factories? So this comes back to the ideas of manufacture as service. When you provide a service, it's what. The customer wants,、uh, and for the factories, the customer is the brand. It's the brand who's driving, who wants to their mobile phone to build to break. It will break in eighteen months, so you have to get a new one. Factory, they are indifference, and、uh, again, they are also have to survive. The throwaway product is not a result of the factory in China, but it's a global shift in terms of how. This kind of giant global company we created. I mean, look at Apple. I mean, it is crazy. I mean, this company has some two hundred billion dollars in cash. I think that's that's no inherent evils in in terms of the manufactured thinking. It comes down to dollars and cents. Sometimes we have to look at from their perspective. Is the I'm running a factory of five thousand people. I'm actually responsible for everybody's paycheck. A million dollar unit comes in. If I lose it, I have to close down half of my factories. The ethical choice is the lane of twenty five thousand people or a little bit poor condition for five thousand people. That's dollar and cent choice. That's not inherently something. Is like this is the how I maximize everything. And if you look at the composition of this current product. If we, even we look at the throwaway products today, there's a branding on it, and the branding in most of the time has nothing to do with the manufacturer, and that branding is half of the retail price, even more. And so we have the other strange part. We need to squeeze. We need to question: Is the why? Why a thirty dollar product on the shelf here? The manufacturer side gets ten dollars. The twenty dollars goes into this. Pocket of brandings, which they are willing to put two more dollars into this. The abusive, the environmental, everything can be sold.、Uh, but we are now so obsessed 
with the, the, the perfect image of the brand. We don't want to question that. We don't want to question why. And the brand is operating not under what's best for the consumer. They are operating under this maximizing shareholder value. And so if I had to squeeze my suppliers, I will squeeze my supplier. And if I had to figure out a way to charge more to the consumer, I will figure out a way to charge more to the consumer. This is not the only way to operate. There's a lot more ways to operate business. We do need a lot more environmental labor issue-minded entrepreneur to show up because, yes, we had that discussion with the factory boss, but a lot of this company end up being investor-funded, especially venture capital-funded. And when they go back to their venture capital, say, hey, I want to pay one more dollars to all the workers. They're like, are you crazy? So again, even with the good heart, they go back to the same abusive mode of, I'm just going to give my contract to whoever is the lowest bidder. But we can break the mode. We can break that kind of rat race to higher valuation, maximize stakeholder value, coming back to a small globalized mom and pop shop, which has principle, which has benefit, and they cater to the specific group. Why do you think that there are few people who, who particularly care about buying more durable products at this moment? I think there are people who do care, but we don't give them options. There's really, there's practically, there's no options when it comes to visible options, when it comes to cell phone, when it comes to everything around our life. It's all secret package, nice poster, good advertising on TV, nice viral marketing on video. It gives us this feel goods to be associated with a brand, with the products. But whatever they presented is not really the same as the what they what they are doing. But they are fixed into this loop and this doctrines of maximizing shareholder value. They won't change. But we now do have an opportunity. We vote with our money. So if there's people making things we agree on, we like it. We can put the money the other side. And as long as we can start into proving that's a viable, the entire machine who help the brand to create in that feel-good association will be coming to this side. So I think we are at this moment of time. We, we know all the problem. Now is the to work on the solutions. So it seems that Shenzhen's manufacturer's service does provide a real opportunity to makers globally, but are they really in a position to take advantage and make better products? We've seen a lot of hype, but not so many products by makers truly embracing modular design. Why do you think that that's the case? In the past couple of years, that hype which propelled the makers is creating very strange kind of startup. Whoever comes up with a product are all thinking about they are the next Apple, go after by the venture capital, trying to increase the value of their, their equities. But a lot of them fail to ship. And the reason they fail to ship is you don't try to take a 3,000 unit products, trying to go to manufacture it from scratch. People who do manufacturers will tell you it's not possible, but the maker movement has won these tendencies. Now, look at me, I'm venture investor, startup, uh, I'm a designer, so call me Jonathan Ives Seconds. And 
you walk down to the factory, you say, okay, just follow everything I tell you. But real Jonathan Ive comes in, whatever he, the decision he makes is 100 million units. Of course, he can take the term. But when it comes down with 3,000 units, you have to pay a lot, a lot extras to just be able to do it. So until they reach big numbers, there are significant added costs for makers to put innovative, sustainable creations into production, not to mention provide oversight and to ensure quality of manufacture. And what happens when those products reach end of life? Many valuable electronics are simply shredded after first use, both here and in China. Why do you think that is and what opportunities for reuse are being missed? Shenzhen is in the Pearl Delta area and one of the big spotlight on this problem of e-waste will probably be about 10 years ago. These pictures of this village in China, which is mountain of PCBs, uh, stream of black waters, and kids running around barefoot. It, it, it's a heartbreaking picture to see. And it triggered a, a series of actions about e-waste. And it eventually led to the, the, the Basel Convention. But the problem is that e-waste process has become almost like the U.S., the war on drugs. It doesn't work because it doesn't take economy into the consideration. It just feel goods. It's just ideologies. So Basel Convention basically banning the e-waste export from Europe and U.S. to developing countries. Guess what? It's now called donation and smuggling out of the country. And the reason why is one of the most toxic part of the e-waste recycle is so we look at the circuit board. If you, if you ever see a circuit board, the green piece of things with electronics on it, the most valuable part on that is the IC chips. It's the integrated circuit chips. And those things worth a lot of money. So the economy is this. You shredded this, you extracting the, the, the precious metal out of it, you get 10 cents, 5 cents out of the, the electronics, even less. But... If you go in and desolder the chips out of this, you get $50 out of this recycle. Just like anything, as long as there's money to be made, somebody will be doing it. And we are actually not acknowledging the fact that's what's happening and just close our eyes and say, okay, well, now we ban the export of the e-waste and then we get this magic to turn the e-waste into gold. Problem solved, let's go back to get a new iPhone every every 12 months. I think today we have an opportunity to re examine this. Open source hardware is being promoted by the maker movement. So if coming back, the circuit board is an open source hardware and it can be reused and used in the remanufacture, used in the new projects. And they do. Integrated circuit are hardy. A lot of integrated circuit is easy rated at 10, 20 years. We are not being able to recycle at a circuit board level because of the restriction being put on by the brand in terms of the, the end user agreement. You are not allowed to take this apart. You are not allowed to sell the circuit board. You are not even allowed to pick into how the circuit board works. But in this case, there are valuable property up there. You can just desolder and sell as a commodity. People are going to continue to do that. <laughs> And one of the questions is, is there any hope for more repairable and durable phones? This newfound obsession with, well, newfound 
opportunity in mobile phone. For the past 10 years, in order to make them small, uh, there's all kind of technique gets employed. Especially the group. Forget about the school. We don't have enough space to put in the school. Let's just group everything together and make it almost impossible for the modern phone to be open. But that shrinking is not happening at the same rate. So circuit board runs at most law, which is half the size every 18 months. The rest of the material doesn't shrink that much. And the other thing is the human hand doesn't change. So that's only so small we want to get you so we are actually passing the point today we can actually come back and build in the phone with a common circuit board battery screen and just different case and the other thing to look at this is everybody is admiring the the stylish uh foam design but 90 percent of the people today are using the phone case you walk around all your same design all your beautiful gold color phone nobody ever sees it you see like a, a Hello Kitty, pink, fluffy cell phone case. It increased the thickness. It increased everything. So this is very individualized items. Most attention on Shenzhen is on manufacturing and being able to buy all kinds of components. But can you tell us more about what the design community is like there? Is there a design language emerging? One thing to power this entire crazy creation and production of new things. It's actually a, a big design industry in Shenzhen. So today, Shenzhen has 4,000 industrial design studio, 150,000 working industrial designer, which is probably the biggest, the highest concentration of industrial designer in one city. The other thing people don't know about Shenzhen is in 2008, Shenzhen is the first city in China to receive the city of design from UNESCO. But the sentence design language is very different. I think one of the words everybody throw around today is design for manufacture. I mean, once the maker starting to discover Shenzhen and starting to discover, oh, my design will never be manufactured. And then people starting to remind him, yeah, there's these things called design for manufacture. So that's how you fit your design so it can scale. And now we get a lot of praise is like, who come, we will teach you the dark art of design for manufacture. That's a big separation from design to productions, In I think in most part of the world. But in Shenzhen, design is pretty much part of the productions. Shenzhen industrial designers spend half of their time on the factory floor and the other half of time doing design. So their language is the is it's a language of design for manufacture. But it's not a separate stage. It's within the the practice. Every curve, everything they are thinking of, they have that practice to take into account how this design would affect productions. But the Shenzhen designer is not very visible. Even these days, there are tremendous amount of them are getting the IF award, the Red Dot award. But one thing they don't do is the, they don't come up and do a lot of talk and speech too busy shipping stuff to keep a talk. We're often told that designers here in Europe are in favour of durability and upgradability and that the problems are the briefs from the brands and the manufacturers. Is that the same in Shenzhen? The way to incentivize design is different. Here you have to be loud, to be different, to be popular. That's how you get paid. Whether or not it actually makes a real-life impact, it doesn't matter. And... Shenzhen actually on exactly the other side. If you don't ship, you don't eat. Too busy shipping to talk. So 
we need to have these two having conversation. So you got a project which has so many people wanted. Here we have people, talent, master, expertise in taking it to productions. Let's work together and actually make it real. The idea of modularity, upgradeability, everybody talks about it. It's fashionable, but we now really need to do the hard part. Is the let's actually make them real. Making it real is is hard. It's it's it, well, it's not. Hard, but it's a lot of tedious work. It's a lot of the going through this process of thinking about taking it to manufacturers. But it has to be done. Right now, we are way too happy with just our contribution by liking it, by sharing it on Facebook. We forgot we're still holding the phone, which will require us to change every eighteen months. I think we learned the lessons in the past past years. The two shocking change, the Brexit and Trump. This is the we got our own echo chambers and the reality doesn't matters. We we need to bring we need to get out of that ones and starting to have a more honest exam of the reality, and that will bring to that ideas of the modularity, upgradeability, flexibility to reality rather than just people talking about it. <laughs> Sanzai is this term for what originally referring to this copycat electronic industry, but through the years they grown into a large industry on their own right, having this very rapid that's build testing the market and find real users, find real paying customers, fast iteration, fast moving. I think one of the key things to learn from them is the ideas of the collective, the ideas of the community. Sanzai coming out from this very copycat cultures, they learn to make peace with the the lack of intellectual property protection. They learn to make use of the lack of the intellectual property protections. If it's cheaper to buy today than you build in eighteen months, buy today. Is that sharing? Is the uh, the ideas of not everything have to invent here? And the other side is also compromise with reality when you are small. And I think this is the best two things for the maker movement to learn. The maker movement deliver great concept. Also, the other thing is the now we have the attention of everyone. We are loud, and how to turn this loudness and attentions into real productivity? That's one of the thing we try to articulate. What has been happening in Shenzhen, and hope the spill over of this loudness to take advantage of what the system can help. And actually, starting making impact. It's hard to imagine the ecosystem that David Lee describes around Shenzhen. Four thousand design studios is a really large number, and very hard for me to think of in my head. By way of comparison. The Design Council estimated that as of 2013, there were 1,620 product design firms in the UK, which means that there's more than twice as many product design firms in the city of Shenzhen than there are in the country of the United Kingdom. And I really hope that this new approach that they're taking there will create a greater diversity of products. And from a sustainability point of view, products that are durable, personalized, and modular. 
And yet the worry is that because of how manufacturing works, it'll always be tempting for makers, companies and factories to produce throwaway products. As much as David Lee describes those factories as neutral, it depends on us, what we ask those factories to make. And so if David Lee is right, it's up to us, citizens and consumers, to resist the temptation of the throwaway product and to ask and insist for things that are sustainable, useful, adaptable, and better suited to our needs. Restart Radio is both a podcast and a weekly show that goes out at 1.30 on Tuesdays on Resonance 104.4 FM, repeated on Thursdays at 11.30 AM. As with all episodes of Restart Radio, we'll include links with background information to all of the issues and stories discussed over at therestartproject.org. The music that you've heard in today's episode was made with lasers and repurposed electronics and is a collaboration between Opto Noise and Cassini Sound. Today's restart party is over, so it's time to pack up the equipment and say goodbye to each other. Goodbye, everybody.